From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Right now, in the Yellow Sea, just off the coast of China, hundreds of vessels carrying tonnes of Australian coal are stranded, along with their crew. More than 1,000 sailors have been trapped on board their ships for months now because of one reason, Australia's escalating trade war with China. Their situation brings to light the often hidden, dangerous and morally dubious world of international seafaring, particularly when it comes to the treatment of workers. Today, writer for the Saturday paper, Anna Crean, on the men trapped at sea and the question of who is responsible for them. Anna, could you start off by telling me how you came across this story? Yeah, so I remember um, listening to Fran Kelly on ABC um, in November. The trade dispute with Beijing has deepened on another front. There are now more than 60 vessels carrying at least $700 million worth of Australian coal stranded off the Chinese coast. They've been anchored... Talking about the... Australian coal exports that weren't being unloaded in China. Australia is considering uh, taking China to the WTO over the barley tariffs. The Trade Minister confirmed that yesterday. What about over coal? What about this standoff, these stranded ships? Uh, well, look, our exporting... So obviously tension has been escalating between China and Australia and there's been this unofficial freeze on various Australian exports, obviously not just coal, timber, lobster all that kind of thing. It has been unofficial, though. So there's genuine humanitarian concerns for the welfare of these seafarers. What's the Australian government doing to try and get these ships docked and unloaded? And she mentioned the seafarers on board the vessels. Um, It's estimated to be about 1,200 seafarers and between 60 and 70 vessels. It was mentioned every now and then with the reports about this coal, but it was never the focus. It was always this afterthought of the seafarers who happened to be stuck at sea. And they're all ships that have come from Australia with Australian coal? Or Australian coal. And I I just couldn't get the seafarers out of my mind. I kept wondering about what was going on with them. I mean, forget the coal. What's going on with these guys? And I started scanning various social media platforms, trying to find family members and found a few family members of seafarers who are on board the Jaganan ship and the Anastasia ship. And they put me in contact with their family, the seafarers on board those ships. And so from then on, since December, I've been, you know, WhatsApp messaging with them back and forth, saying good morning, uh, checking in and just to seeing how they are and, and getting to know them. Right. And so Anna, once you started talking to these men who were stuck on these ships, what did you learn about them? So the crew on board basically consists of a, a crew on deck and then also an engineering crew as well. And there's about around about 20 seafarers on a good ship that's been, that's been properly manned. The Anastasia vessel, for example, there are 16 Indian seafarers, uh, one Russian and one Filipino seafarer. And one of the men that I spoke to on the Anastasia, the first man I spoke to, is in his 50s, not a high-ranking seafarer. So 
doesn't have a huge amount of agency in his situation. But then from him, I got introduced to the second ranking officer, Gaurav Singh, who's been really vocal. My name is Gaurav Singh. I am a navigating officer on the vessel Anastasia. Uh, right now, I'm in my cabin. It's uh, foggy outside. We cannot see anything. It's total foggy, total fog. And uh, the temperature outside is minus two degrees Celsius. And the uh, owner of their ship, uh, Mediterranean Shipping Company, have since told them to stop talking to me. But uh, Gaurav Singh hasn't. He wants to go home. Even my marriage was scheduled in October, and that has been cancelled now. My mother, most of the time I'm talking to my mother and she's always crying only. And so what did he say to you about when it first became clear that things were starting to go wrong? Right. So they're anchored in August alongside many, many other vessels also carrying Australian coal. After uh, arriving in China, we have been told by the Chinese agent that uh, there will be an anchorage of about one week, and after that you can offload your cargo. Even at arriving at a port, they did not know what was coming. They waited to be given a berth to dock and start discharging, which is unloading the cargo. And it didn't happen. That instruction never came. And we were waiting for one week. Then after that, he was just delaying and giving fake dates I don't think it really dawned on them until maybe a month or two months had passed that this was really a situation that may not have an end. One month passed, two months passed, and we were hearing from the media and we were reading some article that uh, there is some issue going on between China and Australia. And because of these tensions, we have been stuck here. So they were still being told that they had to wait around, that they eventually they'll be allowed to discharge. They had just had to wait. That's seven months now. Mm. And so what has that seven months been like for them? It's been quite horrible to hear from them in the sense that their mental states have deteriorated significantly. I guess it, there's this the uncertainty, the sense of never knowing when you're going to get off your ship Everybody is like a ghost on the ship. So most of them are just sitting inside their cabin and thinking about the worst things in the world. Many of these men have long overstayed their contracts. The Maritime Labor Convention states that a seafarer's tour of duty should be capped at 11 months. These men are looking at 20 months, 21 months on the sea with no end in sight. We have lost all the hope. They are just saying that it will be soon. From last six months, we are hearing the same thing, that it will be soon. Now we are actually irritated with this word, soon. Um, there's been reports of captains actually having to pull out teeth of their crew members because there's no medical assistance. On the Anastasia, just last week, one of the crewmen fell and fractured his wrist. There's been no help. Here, most of the crew... They are aged between uh, 50 to 60 years, and uh, some of them are senior citizens. They are having, say, different medical issues, different uh, mental issues. Uh, some of them lost their mothers, their relatives, their, their loved ones, but still they could go home. 
So on the Anastasia, four men have been on suicide watch. So this is the mental state of our crew here on board. So it's a really deteriorating situation and they've been sort of somewhat in a bell jar where no one's listening to them. They feel like they've been punished for something that they've got no hand in, that they have absolutely no role or responsibility or even any agency and they've been punished for a a trade stoush between two countries to which they do not even belong. They just happen to have blacklisted coal in the belly of their ship. And so who is responsible for the welfare of these men, Anna? Ah, it's the million-dollar question. We'll be back after this. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points. Sign up today at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. Anna, we're talking about the hundreds of men who are trapped on ships in Chinese ports and they've been there for months getting increasingly desperate about the situation that they're in. And there is this question, as you say, the the million-dollar question, about who's responsible for this. And you've been looking into this for months now. So where have you got to? Who is responsible for their welfare right now? Right. So, I mean, that's the question that I asked myself when I first started digging into this. Hi, uh, my name's Anna Crean. I'm a journalist based... And it turns out nothing is simple in the maritime industry. I've actually sent a few emails and made a few uh, inquiries... These incredible, murky, opaque contracts where you have the owner of the ship who might be based in one country. I'm just writing a story about the men who are stuck on the Anastasia ship. But then they might register that ship in another country, say Panama, for example. Messages in the Hong Kong office, as well as the Australian office. Then there's the vessel operator, who then hires a charterer, and the charterer that might then hire another charterer, who hires a voyage charterer. Give me an email or a name or someone I can contact. So I've spoken to, say, the vessel ship owner, and they've said that they're really concerned, but it's not actually their responsibility. You contact the sub-sub-charterer. They're not really that concerned and it's not their responsibility. You contact the receiver of the goods in China. They won't comment. You contact the company that owns the Australian coal. They've already sold the coal, apparently, so it's not their problem. When you come down to it, no-one's responsible for the crew's welfare. It's no-one's problem. Right, so... There's this complex network of companies involved and that complexity means that 
none of them actually have to take responsibility for the welfare of the sailors who are stuck in China. Is this the way that things typically work in the shipping industry? It's a huge problem and I had no idea about it. And I think the pandemic has really shone a light onto the situation that's been festering for decades. At the moment, because of the pandemic, you're looking at 400,000 seafarers who are stuck at sea long past their contracts, who won't be allowed off various ports because of fear that they may have you know, the virus or that the crew replacing them might have the virus. So it's complicated a situation that's also given light to a situation that was already here in the first place. And in 2017, I've, I've discovered that there was actually an Australian Senate inquiry into ships who fly the flag, which is known as the flag of convenience. So these are ships that are registered in Panama, in the Bahamas, Marshall Islands. These are open ship registries, which are well known for being substandard when it comes to enforcing international maritime regulations. It's just shocking, shocking reports of exploitation, of recruiters actually getting seafarers to pay them for their jobs and then putting them onto ships with these flags of convenience and they have to work off their loan. And guess what? They never work off their loan. They're stuck on the ship for months and months and months. It's basically modern slavery. So it's this crazy Wild West situation, which has been recommended by the inquiry in 2017. It was recommendation that the entire industry needed to be looked at. And if we don't rein this in, if we don't start understanding that this is a serious situation, this is only going to get worse. And that Senate inquiry you mentioned, that uh, that's three coming on four years ago now. Has there been any signs since then that this is an issue that the Australian government wants to address? No. And quite sadly, uh, the British government convened a virtual summit last year, an international summit, to engage with countries about getting these crews off their ships getting them off safely and looking after them, not just for their welfare, but also for the welfare of supply chains and for the sake of environmental hazards. Australia didn't even dial in to that summit, which is a shocking absence, I would say, considering 90% of our trade is done on the sea. Uh, Seafarers are integral to that trade. And yet when it came to us just giving a damn about them. We weren't there. Um, The public pressure isn't there. Uh, The scrutiny isn't there um, because it's so difficult to understand and to unpick and to find out who's who and who's responsible for who. It's quite easy to put your hands up in the air and say, that's got nothing to do with us. And I guess it's just in the too hard basket. And the sailors that you have been speaking to who have found themselves in the too hard basket, they're still stuck in in Chinese ports. So do we know when they might be able to disembark? Is there any end in sight for them? So of the two ships that I've been in contact with, the Jagannand and the Anastasia, absolutely wonderfully on January 10, at the start of this year, uh, the Jagannand was given permission to divert to Japan for a crew change. So the men that I've been speaking to on that ship are on their way home, which is 
just wonderful, wonderful news and a real relief. Of course, that just sets, you know, this sort of more despairing light on the crews that are left behind. So in regards to the Anastasia, these guys are really struggling. Every day we are just waking up with a hope that something will come up, something positive will come up. But by the end of the day, everything goes in sorrow. They were quite spirited bunch when I first started speaking to them in December. There was still quite a lot of hope and a lot of camaraderie. In the last eight weeks, I've seen that dwindle. And to sort of rub salt into the wound, they're watching ships come from Canada and Russia and South Africa unloading their coal and then floating away. They're not getting any medical help. They've been told that a doctor will come if it's an emergency, as in if someone is dying. But they didn't even know that that would take hours. So they're really scared. They don't know what the breaking point's going to be for them. People are losing uh, hope physically and mentally. We are totally exhausted. Just because of a trade issue or uh, tensions between two countries, why the seafarers are suffering. Our families are worried. They are waiting for us. We are not uh, on an alien planet. We are living in this world only. The world should listen to us. Anna, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. With award-winning news coverage and reviews, the Saturday paper is essential reading for everybody. For a limited time, subscribe to a year of our quality, independent journalism and you'll receive the Saturday paper's stainless steel coffee cup made in collaboration with Fresco for free. Subscribe from just $2.10 a week. Simply visit thesaturdaypaper.com.au forward slash offer. The Saturday paper. No hot takes. Also in the news today... The Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt has announced nearly 6,000 pharmacies across the country will be invited to take part in the vaccine rollout program. The rollout is set to begin later this month. And Victoria's Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton has approved attendance of between 25,000 and 30,000 fans a day to attend the Australian Open. The decision comes as the state recorded 24 days without a locally transmitted case of COVID-19. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you tomorrow.